Thank you very much for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire here at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant filled life. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this sermon. If you will, uh, stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord together this morning out of Acts uh, chapter 7. We've really gone through a long series here, um, both in Acts, but particularly in chapter 7, as we've kind of worked through uh, Stephen's defense of himself to uh, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders uh, that he was called before. And we're getting to the end of that message and, and also to the end of Stephen's life as he uh, finishes out the message. And so we want to read that. I'm going to back up. Uh, Pastor Chris read to you last week in uh, Acts uh, uh, 7. He read uh, verses uh, 51 through 53, but I'm going to add those to the message this morning to give a little more context. Stephen begins, and he's speaking here to the Sanhedrin, who are the religious leaders. And he said, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. 54. Now when they heard this, the religious leaders they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth in him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the public reading of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in our life. And I pray, God, that you would do what I cannot do, and that is, Lord, uh, share this message this morning that you have put on my heart, Lord, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit here, O oh Lord, to apply this word to our heart, that we would live it out faithfully. God, I pray that you would help me today, Lord, uh, to speak only that which you would have spoken. God, to not distract from your word, to not add to your word, to not take away from your word. And so, God, I pray you would help me and help us to hear, be faithful in that task, and also be faithful doers of the word. We thank you for these things, and we love you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we ask you, amen and amen. You may be seated. I'm really looking forward um, both to this message this morning and to uh, two messages coming up. Uh, as you'll recall, last uh, a few Sundays ago, we kind of celebrated what was our 
first service. And as a church, we had a few services together in the beginning and then went into lockdown mode and kind of online uh, sharing the message and then eventually back in the in-person services. And so uh, this Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday will really be our, uh, our first time uh, together as a congregation on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And so we're looking forward to that time together, uh, not sitting in front of a television at home, but actually seeing one another face to face in the sanctuary as we come together uh, to worship the Lord and to celebrate uh, his uh, resurrection. And so, again, that's why I'm hoping that this will be a time where you will enthusiastically share with your friends and neighbors uh, to come and be at church uh, on that Sunday. As we've read through uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7, you uh, get this uh, interaction with Stephen. Stephen, as I've said earlier, was a Hellenistic Jew. Basically what that means was he was a Jew. He was ethnically a Jew, but he had either been raised or his family or grandparents were raised outside of Jerusalem. His native language would have been Greek, and he most likely attended a Greek-speaking synagogue. Uh, But ethnically, he was a Jew, but had been probably uh, pretty heavily influenced by Greek uh, culture. Stephen's persecution actually begins, if you you go back to the end of chapter 6, his persecution actually begins in the synagogue of the freedmen, that was its name, in Jerusalem, which was a synagogue for people who were Hellenists just like him in Acts uh, chapter 9. The scripture says in that passage that those who were accusing Stephen of preaching about Jesus, uh, they couldn't compete with the way he spoke about the Lord, and they enticed people to say things about him that were not true in Acts chapter 6 and verse 11. Those who were accusing him stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, and the whole synagogue kind of got into a ruckus about what Stephen was preaching on. And it says the leaders of the synagogue took Stephen and they drug him off before this council. And the council was the group of Jewish religious leaders who were in Jerusalem. They were sort of over the Jews in Jerusalem, and this group was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were more than just sort of a normal church council. The group of men who made up the Sanhedrin, they were in charge of all the Jewish affairs of life, religious, political, uh, social. They were responsible for kind of the whole of Jewish life and specifically the whole of Jewish life uh, within uh, Jerusalem. It's the same group of people that met about Jesus and conspired to put him to death. When they stoned Stephen at the end of our text, it was actually unlawful because the Sanhedrin itself could only request of the Romans to put some one to death. And so you can see how angry they were at Stephen when the Bible talks about them being cut to the quick and gnashing their teeth, how angry and upset they were with Stephen because he was preaching this message of Jesus and specifically that he was accusing them of sort of following along the line of those who had come before him who continued persecuting uh, the prophets and stoning and killing the prophets that had come before Stephen. And so as he's 
kind of dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, Stephen is given the opportunity to defend himself. And in his defense, what he does in our text this morning, he effectively kind of flips the tables on the Sanhedrin. And instead of him sort of standing and defending himself, he kind of turns the tables and he begins to accuse them. So if you ever find yourself in court and you're accused of certain things, probably the way to get off is not to turn around and start pointing your finger at the judge and accusing him. But that's what Stephen does. He says, you are just like the Jewish religious leaders in time past. You are doing the same thing as the Jews of old, and you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And they are unwilling to listen to or accept his accusations. They drag him out of the temple and they stone him. And he becomes the first martyr of the church. Those leaders of Israel, they fulfill Stephen's accusations against them. That they were resisting the Holy Spirit who was speaking to them right then through Stephen. And they were showing themselves again to be children of those who rejected and killed the prophets. Stephen was absolutely accurate in his accusations of those religious leaders. We dig into Stephen's background a little more. We look at his spiritual walk with the Lord. He was chosen for a fairly small task to wait tables and to minister to widows in the church. You recall, recall that there was sort of this issue within the church between a couple groups of people and one group felt like they weren't being served in this distribution of food. And Stephen was one of those who was called up and put in place to sort of help manage the food distribution ministry of the early church. And one of the reasons that Stephen was chosen in Acts verse 6 and 5 was because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible goes on to characterize Stephen, and it says that in verse 8 of chapter 6, that he was full of grace and power, that he was performing signs and wonders. In Acts 6 and 10, it says that he was full of wisdom and of the Spirit. At the end of his life, in Acts 7 and 55, it says again that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. His understanding of Jewish history was at least as great as those who were mounting the accusations against him. And while in the beginning he was chosen for a fairly small task because of his faithfulness and the fullness of the Spirit with which he found himself, he came to play a major role in the early church and in church history and his message continues to impact you and I here today. When I read through this passage, one of the things that sticks out to me over and over again is that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And his accusers were always resisting the Holy Spirit. When we think about the Holy Spirit and we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, you and I must recognize and we must be people who are convinced of the active and present work of the Holy Spirit in our day and in our lives particularly. When we read through the book of Acts, what we see is these acts of 
the Holy Spirit. In many of your Bibles, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it could more rightly be termed the Acts of the Holy Spirit because what you see is a Spirit continually moving upon people, individuals, uh, individual people, groups of people, the Spirit moving in power and in grace to get the message of Jesus out into Jerusalem and Judea and so forth and so on. And we see that beginning right here in the martyrdom of Stephen. When Stephen is killed, he experiences the glory of Christ in his death in a beautiful vision that sees Jesus at the right hand of God. Verse 55 says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is seen standing at God's right hand. Most often we see him seated at the right hand of the Father. Here we see him standing at God's right hand. And the point of this is twofold. One, it is the Lord Jesus standing in recognition of the first martyr of the church about to enter into heavenly glory. But the posture of Christ is also seen in his rightful place as righteous judge, standing in opposition and condemnation of the religious leaders who are committing this sin against one of his spirit-empowered chosen ones. Stephen has this powerful vision at the moment of his greatest trial. And that greatest trial is not his death. See, we would think of that, wouldn't we? We think the moment of Stephen's greatest trial is his death, but in actuality, the moment of Stephen's greatest trial comes in the midst of his death when he has a choice to make. And that is, does he forgive or does he not? Now, what is our response or what would our response be in the face of our accusers who not only may come against us with character assaults or things of those nature, but are literally in the midst of killing us, what would our natural response be? Is the thing that's coming through our mind at that moment, Father, forgive them, don't hold this sin against them? Or is our natural thought, stop this, stop this pain, stop hurting me? See, only when you're full of the Spirit can we react in a way in which Stephen reacted. Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit because there is clear evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in his life, even at his death. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And in our day, there is a need for you and I to exist in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Well, I won't be able to spend as long here as what I may like. What I want to affirm to you today from the scriptures is that there is a work of the Spirit beyond you coming into relationship with Jesus. There is a work of the Spirit in us and through us that happens after salvation. And it is the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You and I, too, can live a life like Stephen lives. 
It's clear in the New Testament, and it is evidenced over and over again in the book of Acts. Yes, the Spirit is at work and present in salvation, but there is a fullness that is available to you and I to help us overcome the everyday challenges and to speak the truth of God's grace that is available to us through a fullness or a baptism of the Spirit. We see throughout the scriptures that when someone is baptized in the spirit, it gives an overwhelming sense of God's presence. It brings indescribable love and joy and peace, and it brings a boldness to speak of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to others, and it gives us a clear assurance of the work of Christ within us. It helps us to walk in sanctification, refusing sin and embracing holiness. Was Stephen in that moment when he was full of the Spirit and seeing the glorious Christ and forgiving those who were killing him, was he thinking, oh, I've got to refuse that sin? Was he thinking as he was preaching the message, as he was sharing the message of hope, oh, oh, I've got to deal with this sin in my life? No, because he was full of the Spirit, doing the work of Christ, and his affections were fully set on the Lord. When Stephen was first chosen to wait on the tables and to serve the widows, he was chosen because he was full of the Spirit. It wasn't simply that they saw him and said, oh, Stephen came down to the altar and he committed his heart to the Lord. He's a good guy. He's a good administrator. He can kind of work through these things. So let's choose him in order to manage uh, these widow things along with these other guys. No, he was chosen because he was full of the spirit. How did they know he was full of the spirit? How did they know? How come he was able to be seen as being full of the Spirit and the other people who had come down and and, and prayed and sought the Lord and said, I'm a believer, they weren't chosen. What was different about him? There was a qualitative difference. Being full of the Spirit had to be something that was noticed, not just some inherent capability. See, often in the church, we want to choose people because of their ability in certain areas their ability to manage certain things, their intellectual knowledge, and all those things are important, all those things are good, and God gives people in all of those areas. But what the apostles knew needed to happen in this particular case, dealing with people, was someone who was full of the Spirit. And they knew if they were full of the Spirit, they would rely on the power of God to lead them in every situation and circumstance. And what we see in the life of Stephen is a consistent leading of of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and of power, full of wisdom with which his accusers weren't able to cope. It wasn't just that Stephen might have spoken in tongues or something at some point. It was that he had a hunger for the risen Jesus that was greater than his hunger for anything else. Oftentimes in Pentecostal circles, and I don't doubt the experience of speaking in tongues. I believe it's in the New Testament, and I believe it's given for the upbuilding and the benefit of the church. But oftentimes we want to focus on that gift so much. Oh, if you speak in tongues, you have the fullness of the Spirit. But I've known people who've spoken in tongues, and they live like hell. Am I the only one?
It's not just some gift and say, oh, I have it. It is a walking in the fullness of the Spirit, a continual pressing in, a continual longing for. Yes, it is an experience that happens in a point in time, but when you have it, you will know it, and when you don't, you won't. When the overwhelming love of God has come into your heart and your affections are set on him, the things of earth do grow strangely dim. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit as soon as we meet him in the book of Acts. He was assured of his place in Christ. He was assured of the righteousness of his cause before the Sanhedrin. He was in the heavenly throne room spiritually before his body was murdered. When we read through this gospel account, when he begins to accuse them, when he puts the fingers, see, he, through all of this time, he has just kind of been walking through history with the Jews, walking through history, point by point by point. Most of what he says up until this point, they're not really going to be in disagreement with until he kind of walks it through. And in verse 51, he begins to switch. And he says, everything I've said that you agree with, everything I've said that in history, how the Jews have refused what happened in Joseph's life, what happened in Moses' life, and what happened through the prophets, and how the Jews have continually been stiff-necked. See, the Sanhedrin wouldn't have disagreed with that. That was a common understanding in first century Judaism, that their ancestors had pushed back against the plan of God. They wouldn't have disagreed. But what made them mad was when he put the finger in their chest and he says that you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. In verse 54, it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth. Now, what happened at the point of trial? In verse 55, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Though they were upset and though they were angry, they had not started the process of dragging him out and stoning him. Stephen's caught up into the heavenly glory and he sees the risen Christ and he explains what he sees. And you see at verse 57, after he proclaims, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears because they didn't want to hear about the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Incidentally, this is the only instance of Jesus being called the Son of Man by anyone else but Jesus himself. Stephen, in his martyrdom, sees Jesus identifying with him. Jesus has been through this beforehand. Jesus has walked this way before. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. But they couldn't stand even the words that were coming from his mouth. So they cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. Now, 
if you read through the text in order, what you see is that up until the heavenly vision, it's getting bad, but it's not that bad. But then God reveals to him this heavenly vision, and when he speaks what he sees in the heavenly vision, then it costs Stephen, doesn't it? It costs him. When you see the glory of God, it costs. There's a cost to God's glory. There's a cost to being in God's presence. There's a cost to you and me. There's a cost to the way in which we live if we want to truly be in God's presence. We can be content to come into church and to leave church and to do good things and other things along that line. We can help people. We can give and all those things are good. And if you love Jesus, you will get into heaven. And there's some people who say, I'm okay with that. But if you want to have a taste of the heavenly glory, if you want to be caught up to the heavens, if you want to live in the fullness of the spirit, there is a greater cost to be paid. There is a greater cost in just coming and doing the church things. There is a need for people to stand and to long before the Lord, to long to be full of his spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Joy Unspeakable. He is not, Martin Lloyd-Jones is a Welsh preacher of the last century. And if you're not familiar with him, and I encourage you to get familiar with him. And he has a wonderful book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called Joy Unspeakable. And he is not a classical Pentecostal. He wouldn't use that term to describe himself, but it's probably one of the best books that I have read written on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Joy Unspeakable. And he says, what the Holy Spirit does is make real to us the things which we have believed by faith, the things of which we have had but a kind of indirect certainty only. When we find ourselves in the fullness of the Spirit, what the Spirit does is he lifts the words up off the page and what we have only experienced by faith, God helps us to experience in an other reality where we are caught up into his presence. Around Stephen that day, no one else could see the heavenly glory. None of them who were the religious leaders who were dressed in fine clothes, who were trying to guard the sheep, who were trying to lead the flock of Israel, none of them experienced experience the fullness of glory that Stephen experienced that day because Stephen was the only one who was willing to pay the cost. He was the only one who was willing to do what it took to be in the power of the Spirit, to live in the power of the Spirit, and to dwell in the power of the Spirit. The early church turned the world upside down in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts was written for our benefit to long for what the early church had. And it was born out of the work of the Holy Spirit, putting in people's heart an affection for the things of Christ. We can come together on Sunday night and we can pray for revival and I desire us to have revival. But what is revival if it's not a large group of believers coming together and being baptized by the Holy Spirit at the same time? That's revival. 
A revival is a people who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, but long and hunger for something more. They long and hunger for being detached from this world and being in the presence of God. They long and hunger for the heavenly vision of Jesus at the right hand of God. They long and hunger for a freedom from sin that they have not experienced before. They long and hunger for an affirmation that God has done a work in their life. And they long and hunger for a freedom from sin. People who are willing to tarry. You ask the question, why does revival tarry? God, send the revival. Send revival. Send revival. Send revival. Revival tarries because Christians don't feel the need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Our sins aren't that bad. This world is not that bad for us, is it? We're getting a little taste right now, kind of a little rumbling in the Western culture, aren't we? Just a little rumbling, but it pales in comparison. Ask some of these who have gone on mission trips and been to other parts of the world where the cost of following Christ is much greater. We've not experienced anything like that at this point, but I believe it's coming. I believe it's coming. Maybe it won't be in our direct lifetime. Maybe it will, but I think with our teens and our younger children, they're going to experience things in an even greater way than what we have experienced with little rumblings along. And how do they work through that? How do they live faithfully for Christ through that? They do so by being filled with the Holy Spirit. For Stephen, being full of the Spirit cost him his life. It cost Stephen the friendship of those in his synagogues. They were the ones who persecuted him. It cost him the affirmation of the religious leaders, those who should have been affirming him. They were the ones who were persecuting him. It cost him his life because he was full of the Spirit. You may be saying, you just told us to seek the Holy Spirit, and now you're telling us it could get us killed. Amen. Amen. It will kill you. Oh, that it would kill you. Oh, that it would kill the desire of flesh in every single one of us. Oh, that it would kill every instance of pride and self-centeredness within us. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would come and eradicate the fleshly nature and cause us to long for more of Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe there are programs and purposes that help people get out of sin, but ultimately what we need in our day is the fullness of the Spirit for God to baptize his people that our affections would be set on the risen Christ, that we would live in heavenly glory. Stephen was in a battle with the religious leaders over the grace of Jesus. They were offended, they were enraged, they were bloodthirsty, and yet Stephen's blood that was shed was used to water the seeds of the church. Acts 4 says that, Acts 8 and 4 says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about preaching the word. In 1739, John Wesley wrote in his journal, it is about three in the morning as a group of People, they called it, were present at a love feast 
which is a fellowship prayer meeting. He says about three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us. And so much that many cried out for exalting joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered, a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. D.L. Moody, in his experience with the Holy Spirit, he says, I began to cry as never before for a greater blessing from God. The hunger increased. I really felt that I did not want to live any longer. Now, note, he had been a Christian. He had been a minister. He was in charge of a mission. He was seeing conversions happen, and yet he still wanted more. He said, I kept on crying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. And one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me and had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. There was such an experience of God in the life of D.L. Moody that he had to say, oh God, stop. Great preacher George Whitefield in 1740 talked about a meeting in which a brother had preached first, he said, and then I began to pray and give an exhortation. In about six minutes, one cried out, he has come, he has come, and could scarce sustain, sustain the manifestation of Jesus to his soul. But having heard the crying of others for the like favor obliged me to stop, and I prayed over them as I saw the agonies and distress increase. At length, we sang a hymn and then retired to the house where the man received Christ, who received Christ continued praising and speaking of him until near midnight. My own soul was so full that I retired and wept before the Lord and had a deep sense of my own vileness and the sovereignty and greatness of God's everlasting love. Most of the people spent the remainder of the night in prayer and praising God. It was a night much to be remembered, not seeking sleep not seeking some sort of solace, but longing after the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our life. I'm telling you today that I'm hungry for that kind of experience. I'm hungry for that kind of fullness of the Holy Ghost. I'm hungry for a time in my life where my affections are not on the things of the world, but they're on the things of God. I'm hungry for a time where the heavens open up and I see the glory of the risen Jesus beside God the Father, where that is where my heart is, where my desires are, where my affections lie in him. That is what the church is about. That is what revival is about. That is what God is calling you and I to seek for. And that must be what Riverstone Church is about. Though we be many or though we be few, my heart is that this place will be a church in which we will seek the Lord for revival. However it may come, however it may manifest itself, that there will be a fullness of God that is manifested among us where each and every one of us find ourselves caught up in his presence. You can get to heaven and have church as normal. You can get to heaven and have church as normal. But you will never experience the glory that we read about in the book of Acts 
without a true fullness of the Holy Ghost in your life. And right now, if we don't hunger for it, if we don't long for it, we need to get to a place where we do. Sharing with someone yesterday, we were talking, uh, shared the thought, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, you can make him drink. You can make him drink if you give him a salt lick. What I've explained to you by some of these old preachers today and reading in the book of Acts, that's a salt lick for you. It's a salt lick for me. There are people who have experienced this fullness in times past, people from all different, uh, uh, within Christendom, but from all different persuasions. The ones who I read to you today, those quotes about their experiences, they would not be considered a classical Pentecostal, but what they were considered is hungry people. Hungry people. I want to be a hungry person. I don't want to be content with where I am. I want to be a hungry person. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask us just to, I'm not going to, we're not going to have people praying for you necessarily. I'm just going to ask you to come and fill the altar if the Lord leads you, that we would pray, God, fill me with the fullness. And if it doesn't happen today, pray tomorrow. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, pray the next day. If it doesn't happen the next day, pray the next day. Pray that God would fill us with the fullness of his spirit, that we would have revival in our day, that our minds and our hearts and our affections would be set upon him. Lord Jesus, in these moments, I ask you, God, to move with your Holy Spirit. God, yes, I believe that there are people here who have named the Lord Jesus Christ, who are saved, who are be welcomed into your kingdom, God. But I believe the scriptures speak to us that there is a work beyond salvation where there is a fullness of the Holy Ghost in our life. Oh God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would baptize us afresh in your presence. God, that you would baptize us afresh, Lord Jesus, that our affections would be set upon you, that nothing else else would do, that we would not be satisfied, that we would hunger and we would thirst after you, O Lord Jesus. God, that we would be like Stephen, who preached a gospel message, who did it with boldness, who did it with courage, who did it in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, who was privileged to see the heavenly vision. Open up the heavens, I pray, O God, today. Open up the heavens, O Lord, and baptize us afresh in your spirit. Thank you again for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope you enjoyed today's message and that it encouraged you to take a step closer to Jesus. Please reach out to us if there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about. To get more information about Riverstone Church, you can visit riverstonechurch.net. God bless you this week, and may you walk in all of Christ's promises and plans for your life.